Hello, I'm Sue Bose, and this is the Net Hero Podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us over the years. And if you've not come across our channel before, let me tell you what we do. The Net Hero Podcast is part of futurenetzero.com, a platform which believes that better business makes a better planet. We're all about people doing things that enable the planet to become more sustainable. That means reducing emissions, that means creating new things and products that we can all live and survive with because at the end of the day, we can't hold back our development. We want a better planet and I believe that business is the way for us to get that by providing us products and services that have a lower carbon profile. And they're the kind of stories that we will be promoting on this channel. If you've seen and listened to our podcast before, you'll know that we've talked to scientists, academics, business people, but we're happy to talk to anyone who's trying to do their bit to make things different. And now, on to this week's episode. Hello, God. It's a matter of principle, religion. Now, I'm not massively a massively religious person, but I'm a Hindu and I believe in God. I believe in the, the God system that we have. And religion plays a vital role in the vast majority of people on this planet. But what role does it play in our whole debate around climate change? Most people would think that climate change is a scientific topic, political business for sure. But is it actually something that involves much more than that? Does it involve faith? And in particular, the way that messages are delivered around it, some people say, are often quasi-religious. So that's the topic I wanted to explore, and I'm delighted to say uh, I'm welcoming to the Net Hero podcast today, Professor Michael Pollitt from the Judge Business School in Cambridge. Hello, Michael. Hi, Simon. You've done some work on this. Now, before we start, you're not a theologist. Is that right? You are an economist. No, I'm an economist. So starting from the economic point of view, before we actually get to the stuff you've looked at, where do you see the debate around climate change? Because I would think most people would look at it and say it's about environmentalism. And environmentalism is about science, climate change, does this, makes animals do that. We lose, you know, crops, we get salt water going up, etc, etc. It's all very sort of scientific. And then we have the economic impact of all these things. Has that been where you think the debate has really been pretty much since it probably started 15, 20 years ago, and definitely going back to the days of the early environmental movement of the 70s? I think that society has had a lot of fun with climate change. <laughs> and I think that politicians have had a lot of fun with climate change because I think for a long time, everybody's been able to agree, we need to do something about climate change. And politicians, of course, have fallen over themselves to support climate change policies. Yeah, I think we've now got to the point where actually we need to put serious money where our mouth is. And also where serious questions can be raised about, well, even if we put the money where our mouth is, we, the UK, Europe, well, will it actually make a difference to the global um, climate? And, and I think we've reached the point at which there are serious choices to be made and politicians need to stop pretending that climate change policy somehow benefits society you know, by making it richer as well as cleaner, 
And I and I think we need to, you know, as an economist, you'd expect me to say this. Yeah. Actually, there is a fundamental trade-off. We're going to have to pay to clean up the environment. And that's the one, isn't it? That everyone's, I think since 2019, when it was written into the law for this country, the, the net zero target, declaration after declaration, we're going to commit to net zero, businesses doing it, and yet not much on kind of how much it's really going to cost us. I think because um, people are still thinking that, you know, somehow the costs are coming down of wind and solar, which yeah, they are. Which they are, yeah. Um, the battery costs are coming down. Well, you know. Um, but actually, they haven't realised that although some climate mitigation will be cheap, actually, in the end, we're going to be paying much higher prices per unit of energy if we want to clean up the environment and there's just no getting away from that and i think that net zero especially you know those last few tons of co2 to clean them out of the environment they're going to be really expensive where does this all sit then when it comes to this interaction with religion that i mentioned at the beginning and let's be honest most of the world is religious you know we probably sit generally in kind of you know the uk and it's lost a lot of what the faith there was has, has decreased, although there are different faiths that are sort of increasing. But globally, we as a as a as a human species, we believe in God, don't we? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the Pew survey suggests that eighty four percent of people uh, have some sort of religion globally, and I think in Europe, you know, most most of the sixteen percent are in Europe and North America, <laughs> so we sort of get a full. You know, in yeah. how significant this is globally. Where does religion sit, do you think, in terms of these very kind of... Because there are two parts to this. There's the philosophical idea about this. There's the scientific idea. But sort of the way you deal with this can often be based on, as you said when we were just talking, the, the moral ideas and the morals that come into it. It's not good to destroy the planet. Moral, Yeah it's better for us to do something to help the next generation, morals. But in a way, the sort of way that the policies have been developed have been very much driven by the science and the economics. But under, under it, if you've said 84% of people believe in God, do you think there's a moralistic element to this that is going to start to increase and, and become more relevant in why people make these decisions? I would like to think so. You know, I think if you're asking people to make quite radical changes to their lifestyle or yeah. to commit, you know, potentially quite significant percentages of their tax revenue or their income to cleaning up the environment, I think you you have to appeal to people's moral sense at some level, don't you? And you have to realize that there are then moral trade-offs because people will say, well, <laughs> you know, I want to educate my children or I want better health care or I want to deal with poverty now and you know we need to have a genuine moral debate about whether what we should be doing with our money and what society's priorities should be there's an element here where i think that as you say you sit in a country that's changed from the last 60 years incredibly in terms of you know where christianity is as the main principle uh, religion for this country but you go around the world you go to southern europe you know still very very much uh, religion driving a lot of things, very religious uh, kind of, whether you say tactics or, you know, there's a religious overtone to most elections 
you know, vote for me. I believe in God. This is this is what I'm going to do. That's for the good of society. The element of climate change uh, that that basically it involves altruism at the end of the day, isn't it? Because what you're trying to say is it's going to cost me more, but I'm doing it so that someone in another part of the world can have a better life. But that's quite a tricky one. We're so used to this kind of way of, you know, the way that economics has been over the last 200 years, which is kind of look after ourselves first. I think that is right. And I think um, we need to, you know, channel, you know, part of my argument in my writing has been that, you know, we could think about climate change as being a moral movement. Yes, you know, um, and that, you know, we can only have a certain number of moral movements at once, can't we? That, to ha- you know, they get the sort of energy that's required to, 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 to achieve something big. But we have had moral movements in the past, which have been incredibly significant and have brought about, you know, peaceful revolution. So, you know, some of the things that, you know, obviously come to mind are civil rights movement in the yeah. US, 1960s, yeah. the Jubilee 2000 campaign in the late 1990s to you know reduce the debt of heavily indebted countries you know with the 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 Berlin Wall coming down after a press yep. meeting you know in in East Germany the peaceful transition that that we saw in South Africa away from apartheid these all had sort of religious movements behind them yeah. as, as well as secular movement Reverend Desmond Tutu what the the, the biggest kind of you know person that anyone would remember apart from you know Nelson Mandela came from a you know religious background to say this is a a moralistic campaign not just a kind of for inequality do you think that that you know in a way you look at it and it's been around obviously environmentalism has said for probably 50 years or so as a real movement but this whole climate change thing has been 10 15 years really um have you seen more of this if you look at sort of the evangelical Christians in in the US, you know, some are very much for this. Some are actually against it, which is quite interesting because they come from states which are about, you know, Lord's access to the oil and gas. (laughs) It's it's quite a tricky one. Yeah, no, I I think, you know, I think we need to recognise it. It is a genuinely tricky one. You know, I think because, you know, plenty of religious people might emphasise the importance of, you know, sorting your relationship out with God yep. now, yeah, or or of helping you know your neighbour right now, and actually trying to sort of have a conversation about something which you know is going to cause major damage in a few decades' time. You know, maybe that doesn't seem as salient to somebody who's genuinely religious as it might to a scientist who's used to thinking about sort of abstract yes. concepts. You know, and also is you know pretty comfortable today. And actually isn't facing the sort of same day to day moral challenges that other people might be facing who are genuinely poor, for instance. So, you know, I think we need a sort of intelligent discussion about priorities. And in a sense, scientists need to broaden their approach, don't they, to recognise that this isn't the only problem that the planet actually has. And it may not even be the most salient one. Where do you think you've looked at this stuff? And it's very interesting. You looked at language and I think you've looked at the kind of, I'll I'll use the word preaching that goes on, right? A lot of environmental people preach. It's all doomsday, right? Do this now, 1.5 degrees, otherwise we're all doomed. You know, there's a very negative, apocalyptic kind of narrative that sits under that. 
And some would say that's part of religion. You know, there are many religions that have end of world, end of civilization kind of uh, facets to them. Where does that sit in the work you've done in terms of getting a message over to make people act? Because it's, it's a bit like kind of don't eat that cake. Yeah, it's, it's New Year. We've all got resolutions. Don't eat that. I'm going on a diet. Don't touch that. Don't have that. And you can keep it up for a little while. And then you think, well, sod that. I'm going to have that cake. Have you, look, have you looked at the language? I, I, completely, I completely agree with you because I think, you know, 84% of people in the yeah. world are religious in yes. some sense. Very few of them have got the apocalypse on their mind the whole time. You know, so, you know, you know, it's important to realize, you know, that's always been quite a fringe yeah. part of religion, hasn't it? You know, and, and also it's something that actually religious people don't like to think about that. No, often. of course not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's sort of strange that scientists would adopt that sort of language. And of course, one of the traps that science has got itself into is sort of bringing forward the date of the apocalypse. Absolutely. You know, you know, it used to be it was 20 years away. Now they, they, they it's well, it's next Tuesday, it seems. Yeah. And of course, you, you can't credibly keep doing that. No. What have you seen when you've looked at this analysis of kind of these, dare I say, apocalyptic tomes, religious tomes when it comes to does, does it make anyone more or less receptive when it comes to the message around climate change? Well, I think, you know, the. The, I, the evidence that I'm aware of is that actually when, you know, there have been public advertising campaigns about climate change, actually the more apocalyptic ones have had to be withdrawn because actually you end up getting a sort of negative reaction. And that's completely in line with, you know, certain aspects of behavioural science, which tell you that, you know, the way you present something is very important. You know, and the, the you know the category that people put uh, an idea or an action in really matters. And of course, if you present something as uh, you know uh, very negatively, people don't necessarily respond to it in a, in by going, "Oh yeah, I need to do something about this immediately." They may just uh, say, "Well, there's nothing I can do about it. I just I just, I just don't want to hear this message." You know. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's all going to do. We're all screwed anyway. It doesn't matter if I. Yeah. So I, I won't listen to the message. Yeah, yeah. And also, I suppose as as someone who's worked for a long time on actual climate policy, yeah. There's you know there's only a certain amount of just pointing out the problem that people can take. You know, you actually need to move on to proposing solutions. So you know, for me, you know, when when someone says just listen to the science or you're going hang on a minute uh what about the social science yes you know what what about what you know how human behavior works you know how do you get a message across what policies are you actually suggesting we should coordinate on and that's where i you know i what i you know like about the you know the religious movements that we've talked about that did those things did coalesce around something positive that people could do yes, yes you know you could you know the jubilee um 2000 campaign is great they, they they ended up with the largest petition in history you know calling on governments to forgive the debt of heavily indebted countries you know so people had something very positive and simple that they could do that actually might did go on to change 
politicians' policies. You know, we need we need something like that. You know, we need not only a movement, you know, a sort of moral movement, but a moral movement that has a very clear, positive agenda of what it actually wants to see happen. Yeah, you know, I mean, what you're talking has just suddenly made me think of you know. The, you know the country of my parents, India, the Gandhi, the movement for the British to quit India, a non-violent, religious at the heart of it movement that that inspired not just the people of that country but the world to change. Slavery, same thing. Uh, you talked about civil rights, all of that. A lot of the language that we get from environmental campaigners, a lot of language from people like Greta. You know, lovely kid. She's got a message out there. She's been famous, but. It starts to get weary on people. Just stop oil, extinction rebellion, all the negativity. A lot of people believe and agree with what they're probably saying, but their tactics, the way that, and I've had them on on the podcast, there's an element of kind of stop preaching to us, you know? Do you think that is the danger that we're in right now? Is that sometimes politicians and scientists are weighed by what they see as a very vociferous kind of minority that are saying these sort of things and using that kind of language. Whereas you said, there's a kind of, you know, around the world, a lot more people looking for a, a positive way to try and deal with this. Uh, no, absolutely. I, I think, you know, what often comes to mind when you, you know, see somebody like Greta Thunberg, who, you know, completely admirable individual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but of course, one is sort of reminded of the Children's Crusade, you know that you know that that actually what is this old something which you know actually is not that positive yeah and actually she's being used yeah and people and as she would say herself she often does say you know you know these people aren't taking me seriously really no and i think that is true because you yeah. know when people just sort of say yes i support greta thunberg yeah let's have a badge and sticker on a chat show that's a cover for not doing you know <laughs> something serious you know and 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 she is just being exploited whereas we actually need to put forward you know people need to say we need to commit more money to renewables we need to have a you know a set of carbon markets that you know limit the quantity of carbon that we produce go globally we've got you know we've got things that we know would work but they need to be done at a bigger scale you mentioned uh, and i think you talked about dr king in some of your work you said that you know dr king's message of the promised land and uplifting you know i have a dream that whole thing was not about kind of we've been persecuted by the white man we want the rights that we had it was about kind of let's be together Let's try and overcome this injustice. Do you think some of that could help us? Because at the end of the day, you, you, again, I keep going back to that. 84% of the people on this earth believe in God. They have a religious driver. And generally, nearly all of them, not all, you know, vast majority of people who are religious, try and do things because they think it's the good and the moral thing to do. Do you think the messaging that comes from the more business community, economists like yourself, uh, politicians, scientists, has got to look at that and actually address those people. Because at present, nearly everything is 1.5 degrees. This is the science. This is what's going to happen to you, whatever. There isn't very equivocal voice saying, right, how can we help? How can we change? How can we make sure that you still have the life you have, the right to have air conditioning if you're living in Africa or sub-Saharan Africa, the right to try and do these things to improve the health of your families. But we want to do things without harming the planet. Do you think there needs to be a shift in the kind of 
diatribe that's out there right now. I I do, and I think, but I think you know, you know, part of the issue is we need to start being honest with ourselves. <laughs> you know, I I I still, you know, go to too many fora where I hear people saying, you know, the costs of all this are coming down, and it's going to be cheap. It's we not. We also hear people saying, <laughs> yeah. you know. Oh, there's going to be loads of jobs created in green industries. And and of course, you know, one doesn't, as an economist, one wants to point out to people, hang on, we've got the health service crying out for more people. Yeah, absolutely. Things like green industries put suck people out of, of other things that we want. And actually, we want us, you know, we we're not do, we shouldn't be doing this for jobs. We should be doing this for the environment. And I, I think we need to we need to be honest about this is going to cost. This is how much it's going to cost. And here's the things that we could do that are the most effective. And in a sense, you know, we need to find that sort of petition moment or that dream moment or that, you know, we want the wall to come down. You know, we need to know what it is we're going to coalesce around asking for. And, you know, and my sort of message to religious groups would be you know they need to actually get themselves informed on actually what are we going to you know what is the best thing to be campaigning for you know rather than a sort of general you know we want people to take this issue more seriously yeah. you know what is it what policies do we actually want to see enacted you know what do we want world leaders to be agreeing to you know I, I, so i think if you know we, we, there's a there is a, there is a missing step you know, before we can sort of have an effective global movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, what is it would work that we could actually seriously push for? You've probably been across it. You saw what happened at COP recently uh, in the Middle East. And I was at the one in, in Glasgow a couple of years back and lots of kind of commentary and we will do this. We will help poorer nations. Still, money's not been forthcoming. There's a sort of sanctimonious element to it, which is, well, we all believe that we're doing the right thing and we're going to lead the world, but let's don't chase us on the details and don't push us on, on the money because they are generally five-year term politicians. Yeah, and they're looking at that. You talked there just a second ago about kind of religion has to... Now, it, it is difficult because all religions are, have a different view on things and they all have different ways of scripture of, of telling it but do you feel there's you know should there be more religious people invited to speak at conferences to to get their voice to, to go and reach communities because that's the other thing if you look at a movement you've got to go from the grassroots and as you say a lot of people are religious so there's a way of reaching them to say switch off your your lamp when you're not in the room and all of that sort of stuff and we never seem to do that yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, you know, one of the points I, I make in my paper is, you know, actually there's a lot of common ground between religions on simple living. Yes. On care yes. for the environment. Actually, you know, these, these are things that are actually universal. Common. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so so I, I think there is, you know, this is a profoundly religious message, you know, like we, sh you know, we should be encouraging people to be morally responsible when it comes to energy use and to overconsumption and to recycling and you know and we should see this as helping other people you know when you know as an economist i you know i'm struck by the fact that if if rich people consume less yes that reduces the price for poor people <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> if rich people don't turn their 
boiler down when there's a gas crisis that keeps the price of gas up for everybody yes and it might be okay for them because they can afford it but actually they should do it for people who they're putting the price of gas up for yeah who can't afford it you know and it's that it's those sorts of connections that i think that appeal to religious principles and to you know general morality actually really can help with have we got it wrong that should the environmentalists be going to the churches, the temples, the you know synagogues and mosques, and and talking to the people there and trying to get the message over to those sort of people? And I don't know, is it really kind of you know, let's because a lot of business people have religion. <laughs> we just said you know you know there might be suddenly something that touches them. Go right, actually, I'm going to change what my products because I feel this need. I don't know. I, I just wondered what your thoughts were on that sort of dialogue. I think it's a two-way dialogue, isn't it? Because we said, you know, many people are religious. So in yeah. a sense, people wear two hats, don't they? Do. they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that what I'm sort of saying is a missing link in this process is to make this more about morality and belief than it is about just the science, because I think that's very simplistic. I, I, you know, I think that scientists are in a sense need to learn from religion about how, how do you convert people? <laughs> That's true, actually. They've been doing it for thousands of years. <laughs> how do you convince people to do the right thing or to go along with you or support you? Yeah. You know, um, scientists need to, you know, to, to learn that uh, just as there are, as we've discussed, you know, certain evangelical movements in the United States, you know, need to learn the science and they need to learn the model, you know, that actually this is something they should care about. You know, it's not that they don't care generally, but this is a salient issue for them. Are you unusual in the world of economists with your viewpoint? What what happens when you go to conferences and you start talking about this? Um, Are you shouted down as a heretic? (laughs) (laughs) I, I think people, you know, a lot of academics, as you can imagine, are more comfortable talking about things that are sort of purely scientific level. I I, I think it is true, though, that um, there's an increasing recognition among social science scientists that, you know, we need a more holistic approach to social science, you know, and behavioral science has become much more important. Recognizing people's sort of religious background has become more important. I yes. think we're less, you, you know, I think certainly among social science there's less of a sort of science faith divide than there used to be um, because i think we recognize that there's sort of many truths out there between the social sciences and certainly you know i think economics has become less like physics <laughs> than it used to be and yeah. more recognizing the importance of psychology and um, people's cultural backgrounds and the fact you need to take those actually very seriously when you talk about economic policy. Where do you think we're going with all of this? We're now, you know, uh, gone through probably three or four phases, this initial phase where people talk about kind of the curve of adoption. We've been going probably 10 years where people are going, we need to do something. It's kicked in. We've got legislation. We've got targets. We've got a global kind of movement, which we wouldn't have had 10 years ago. Let's be honest. There are some positives, absolutely, in terms of kind of what we're looking at reducing fossil fuels globally. But we're a long way from where we need to be. Now, that is a science t- telling you that you were a long way away. 
but you could get, as you say, a massive, you know, Nirvana religious kind of awakening that accelerates that. So in the way you're saying it, and obviously, you know, no one knows what the future is. Do you think that we are going to get that thing that you talked about, a kind of feeling that it is all of us? Because at present, it still seems to me that's very much kind of rich Western people lecturing people in the poorer parts of the world to say, don't do this because we've, we've messed it up. We want to we want to cut back and you need to cut back as well. I hope so. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, part of the problem is that for a long time we've talked about this as if it is the only issue. You know, I, yes. I my favourite quote <laughs> from a scientist, you know, is that the climate change, you know, is the greatest issue of all time. You know, sort of, you know, and of course that's a, you know, that is a wildly, you know, over the top unscientific statement, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, and, and health, and, poverty, fact, equality. You know, there are so many things. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and only somebody who was a scientist in a rich country <laughs> yes, could say that. You Dri know, driving their Tesla, people, yeah. <laughs> you know, putting the next meal on the table is actually... Absolutely, getting clean water. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I think we need to recognise, as you've just pointed out, you know, there are lots of other issues that poorer countries have. And I think one of the consequences of a sort of genuine science-religion engagement would be, hang on, there are all these other issues we need to take seriously as well, and we need to put this in context. But that doesn't mean that we couldn't coalesce around this issue. You know, I think one of the interesting things about Jubilee 2000 or about civil rights movement or the, the Berlin Wall coming down or apartheid South Africa is, you know, religions know their own limits. They do, yeah. Know? They know they can't solve every problem in the world simultaneously, and maybe this issue will be the one that we can all recognise. Well, we're all affected by this, yep. rich or poor. Yep, yep. And actually, we can all, you know, somehow get behind it and and avoid the people derailing it because I, by saying, well, unless you just address my most pressing issue, I'm not going to help you with this one. Yeah. So you know, I think that that is the nature of getting the movement going, isn't it? We just got to agree. Let's do something. And we could, and this does sound like a good thing to do as a collective global community. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> I, I hope I am. <laughs> Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. You're at the Judge Business School. I don't know if you've got kind of any papers that, you know, low, lower IQ people like me could understand and read. But if you've got anything that you'd want to share with us, let us know and we'll definitely promote it and let people start to understand. Because I think it's a very, very big topic to, to look at. And I mean that in all seriousness, otherwise I wouldn't have had you on here. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Sumit. It's been a great pleasure. Yeah, all the best. Look forward to hearing the final Absolutely. Result. Don't worry. It'll be a cracker. And if you've got a thought on what Michael has said, if you've got a thought about the role religion and morals have in the climate debate, drop me a line and tune in to the next episode of the Net Hero Podcast. You've been listening to the Net Hero Podcast with Sumit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, 
Better Planet.